Hi, today's reading is from 3 John. This letter is from John the Elder. I am writing to Gaius, my dear friend whom I love in the truth. Dear friend, I hope all is well with you and that you are as healthy in body as you are strong in spirit. Some of the traveling teachers recently returned and made me very happy by telling me about your faithfulness and that you are living according to the truth. I could have no greater joy than to hear that my children are following the truth. Dear friend, you are being faithful to God when you care for the traveling teachers who pass through. Even though they are strangers to you, they have told the church here of your loving friendship. Please continue providing for such teachers in a manner that pleases God. For they are traveling for the Lord, and they accept nothing from people who are not believers. So we ourselves should support them so that we can be their partners as they teach the truth. I wrote to the church about this, but Diotrephes, who loves to be the leader, refuses to have anything to do with us. When I come, I will report some of the things he is doing and the evil accusations he is making against us. Not only does he refuse to welcome the traveling teachers, he also tells others not to help them. And when they do help, he puts them out of the church. Dear friend, don't let this bad example influence you. Follow only what is good. Remember that those who do good prove that they are God's children, and those who do evil prove that they do not know God. Everyone speaks highly of Demetrius, as does the truth itself. We ourselves can say the same for him, and you know we speak the truth. I have much more to say to you, but I don't want to write it with pen and ink, for I hope to see you soon, and then we will talk face to face. Peace be with you. Your friends here send you their greetings. Please give my personal greetings to each of our friends there. Thank you, James. Good morning, everyone. Just, uh, just a quick word. Just if you think about it while I'm speaking, and you can tell I'm starting to struggle a little bit with my throat. If you would just pray for me at that time, I just feel like that might be a distraction uh, for me this morning, and hopefully, it uh, it won't be for you. Um, you know, even as James read that scripture again, it struck me that here is this short little letter in the New Testament that even as I was studying it this week, it was kind of like, have I read this before? Like, it just is one of those letters that you just so easily can just glance over and pass over and read through quickly and just kind of wonder what really is there for us to learn. But this morning, we're wrapping up a series of messages from the letters of John. We started this series way back at the end of October. We took a short break over Christmas to focus, obviously, on the birth of Christ. We returned to 1 John in January, and then last week, Pastor Ken walked us through 2 John. And this week, we're looking at the third letter of John. And then, just as a word of encouragement, maybe next week, we're going to start another series that's uh, called 24 Critical Hours. Just looking at those last 24 hours before the death of Christ. So four weeks to immerse ourselves uh, in, uh, in our thoughts, uh, our, immerse our thoughts around uh, that subject. Have you noticed how life is just so full of choices? I think there's a commercial by that. It kept ringing in my head. I've heard it, but I couldn't point out what the commercial was for. Hopefully it wasn't anything inappropriate and I completely distracted you. But I think it goes something, life is full of choices. Let ours be yours. Is that, or let us be yours or something like that? Anyways, uh, you can tell me later what it was um, for. Uh, You know, you go to some restaurants and uh, they hand you the menu and you can spend the rest of the evening 
reading the menu, right? Trying to figure out what you, what you want. Or you go to uh, any grocery store or department store and you just see aisles upon aisles of stuff. And you go in to try to buy something even simple, right? You've had this experience. You go, guys, and you, you want to buy, you got to pick up some deodorant. And it's just like, well, where do I start? All these different brands and and, uh, and hopefully by using the word deodorant, I didn't just re- remind you of an illustration I used three or four years ago that is still haunting some of you as I see some shaking heads going on. But, uh, you know, hair products. Have you ever noticed this? You go in, you just want gel. Well, then there's like super hold and mega hold and like ultra hold. I'm not quite sure what you're going to do with all those different things, but it is just there. And sometimes don't you find yourself just staring at some of these aisles going, which one do I need? Which one do I want? It's just choice after overload, right? This morning, I'm going to give you two choices to think about. Do we want to live lives of imitation or lives of intimidation? As Pastor Ken mentioned last week, these shorter letters, 2 John and 3 John, in fact, this is the shortest letter in the New Testament, just 219 words in the Greek. It should be interpreted in the context of 1 John that we spend so much time in. And so that's one of the reasons we thought we would just spend these two weeks looking at 2 John and 3 John, because we were already immersed in the historical context. You see, there is some ongoing history here that helps us make sense of why John wrote this particular letter. John was a church planter. He had planted many churches around Asia Minor, and now he was, in essence, pastoring these churches from a distance. We have seen that the main problem was some of the false doctrines that then were being taught in some of these churches, and John wrote the first letter to address those specific problems. But now the problem was no longer doctrine. Now the problem was a challenge to what John was teaching. Or it was not just a challenge to what John was teaching, but in fact to John himself and to his leadership. And and in this specific letter, John introduces us to three characters. We're going to learn a little bit from each of them this morning. The first we want to look at is the partnership with Gaius. Verses 1 through 8 that James read for us. And the letter, like any letter, opens with a very personal greeting. First, John identifies himself as the writer, referring to himself as the elder. He was essentially stating that he was the pastor of this church, even though he obviously was living some distance from this church. The opening also makes it clear to to whom he is writing the letter. He writes, To my dear friend Gaius, whom I love in the truth. And so far, this is a very typical greeting, but it's very personal. John introduces us to his dear friend, Gaius. We don't know anything at all about him, except for what we're going to learn about him here. There are other Gaiuses in the Bible with that name, obviously, um, but we, uh, this is a, a unique uh, character because it was a fairly common name at the time. John continues with what have, would have been common practice when sending a letter extending a wish for good health and prosperity. He writes, Dear friend, I pray that you may enjoy good health and that all may go well with you, even as your soul is getting along well. 
And so John simply is writing to his friend and he wishes him good health and makes this statement that spiritually he was already doing very well. Now I have to be careful here not to go off on a, on a tangent. But this specific verse is often wrongly interpreted by those that preach what is known as the prosperity gospel. They would say about this verse, a favorite for them, that clearly God's desire is for prosperity in every respect because he said that all may go well with you and not only spiritual prosperity. Now, some interpreters think that that perhaps Gaius was not well physically and that John knew this. And so he tells him, in essence, that he's praying for his health. But in spite of his poor health, he's actually doing well spiritually. So you see, there's a bit of a contradiction there for those that say that you just have to have enough faith or that you're doing well spiritually and then everything will go well for you in every respect of your life, right? Finances, health, etc. Now, I could say more, but I think it's important to learn for us not to ever read too much into the text or to press a particular issue too far when we don't know, in fact, exactly what was going on. So maybe the best thing is just to accept the fact that John's intention was simply to follow the customs of the day. Personal letters throughout the Greek world often had good health and success as themes. I don't think John, you know, ever intended that we'd use it as some kind of biblical formula. It was a simple greeting. It was the, hi, how are you doing of the day? I often start emails with a phrase like, you know, I trust you're doing well, or um, I hope this email finds you well, or something like that. And, you know, I never usually really mean it. I, I just, I'm kidding, of course. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I do mean it, because that's what I want, right? I want us to enjoy life. I want us to enjoy the abundant life that God, that God promised us. And so it's, it's just an understanding that, yes, that when we write a letter to one another, we might say something like that. And that's exactly what John was doing when he was writing to his friend. And so to try to make some theological point out of a common greeting just, in fact, misses the point entirely. I should have just said that and left it at that, but I guess I had to digress a little bit. Now, we need to remember the situation here. John was trying to provide pastoral leadership from a distance. The churches that he had planted were scattered all over Asia Minor, probably mostly around the city of Ephesus. And John would have had other travelers teach and uh, go to these various um, churches, helping him then to teach and to lead each of these congregations, because there's no way he could be in all of these places at the same time. And so we see that happening in verse 3. As some of these teachers who had visited the church that this friend Gaius was a part of, they in fact had returned to John and reported to him what they experienced on this visit. And so John writes in verse 3, It gave me great joy when some believers came and testified about your faithfulness to the truth, telling how you continue to walk in it. Now suddenly we're starting to learn a lot more about Gaius, even though we've never met him. 
And there's two primary characteristics that stand out here that really define the kind of person that Gaius was. And they're the words that Pastor Ken had us thinking about even last week. Truth and love. Truth and love. First truth. Gaius had obviously heard the truth of the gospel. If there has been one consistent message throughout this series, it is this. Jesus, the Son of God, came in the flesh, lived died for our sins, and then rose again, having victory over death, and that whoever would believe in him would have eternal life. That's what the Bible teaches. And we've been saying that over and over and over again. That by receiving, by believing, putting our trust in Jesus, we are saved. Nothing more, nothing less. Salvation is a gift from God. A free gift. And there's nothing that we can do to earn it. He just lavishes his love and his grace on his children. So Gaius heard the gospel, possibly from John. He received it, and he lived it. Because John uses the phrase here, continue to walk in it. He had received the truth, now continue to walk in it. You see... The truth, in essence, had become a way of life for Gaius. And he was faithful to it. His life wasn't somehow hidden or secret, but it was obvious to all who watched him that there was a consistency between what Gaius believed and what he practiced. There always is. Christianity is a way of life. It is living out the truth. These are lives that are marked by faithfulness and obedience to God's command. And John adds a great little reminder of the kind of relationship that he was having with his children. He says, I have no greater joy, in verse 4, than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. And friends, any pastor will tell you that this is so true. When people are just living out their faith, you see practical expressions of that faith. It is just so incredibly encouraging to see that. There is, in fact, no greater joy. And you know what? Pastoring is not all that different from parenting. And if you stop and think about it, when does parenting bring you great joy? Right? When you see your children learning and growing and making good decisions. When you say be home at 11 and they're home at 1030. It's all good, right? No pressure, no stress, just joy and contentment. But what do you feel when it's 1130 or 12? Or maybe they try to quietly sneak into the house at one in the morning, thinking that you might be asleep. It's quite a different feeling, isn't it? Now, I haven't experienced that quite yet because my kids are 13 and 15. But I can only imagine the sorrow my parents felt. (laughs) But Gaius' faithfulness wasn't all these traveling teachers observed. They also observed his love. John writes in verse 6, they, these ones that had gone out 
now we're reporting back, they have told the church about your love. Isn't that a great reference, a great testimony? Somebody came and visited our church and visited your home and then went back and reported to others and just said, man, these people love, it's just incredible, it's amazing, right? Everybody would like that kind of commendation. And this love wasn't just a, a nice, warm, fuzzy feeling that Gaius had. This was love in action. You see, he wasn't only faithful to the truth, he was faithful and loving. And so in verse 5, John says, Dear friend, you are faithful in what you are doing for the brothers and sisters, even though they are strangers to you. And what was Gaius doing? He was simply extraordinary at showing hospitality to complete strangers. The traveling teachers depended on the generosity of others to open their homes to them and give them a place to stay while they visited the churches. But Gaius, he didn't just open his home to them. He financed their ministry in some ways. In in verse 6, John says, Please send them on their way in a manner worthy or a manner that honors God. And this phrase here, send them on their way, it it carries the idea of sending with the necessary material support. Whatever they needed, most likely money, maybe some food, right? Send them on their way with these these practical material uh, things that they need. And so John He commends Gaius for what he has done. You've done this. And he's encouraging him here just to continue to do it. Please send them on their way. Hospitality. It was a common command in the New Testament. Jesus preached about it. And Paul, Peter, and the writer of Hebrews, they all wrote about it. It was just simply an expectation that Christians would show hospitality. And this command is, in fact, part of what it means, then, to walk in the truth. Now, times obviously have changed. Now we have hotels and bed and breakfast, so hospitality in the 21st century might look a little bit different. But not always. In fact, we have the opportunity to open our homes to show hospitality when we have our soccer camp in the summer and we need homes for our, uh, the soccer coaches to stay at. And at the end of May, we are going to be hosting the African Children's Choir here at TCC. And we need homes for the children and some of their leaders to stay in as well. And you'll get more details about that. But when we put that call out, just say, I'm supposed to show hospitality. I'm going to open my home. I've got an extra bed, or I'm going to make an extra bed. I'm going to stuff all the kids in our room so that we free up a couple other rooms. We're going to do whatever it takes because we need to show hospitality. But for the most part, hospitality is a little different today. And sure, we should absolutely continue to open our homes Uh, For those that might need uh, a place to stay, maybe our homes to connect with one another in a home group, whatever it might be. But we also can show hospitality every Sunday when we gather after the service around brunch tables. And it's as simple as just inviting someone you don't know to sit down with you. We just practice hospitality. And that's not one person's job. That's everybody's job. We all are required to practice hospitality. In verse 7, John explains why it is so important to show hospitality. He says, It was for the sake of the name that they went out 
receiving no help from the pagans. You see, these travelers weren't just ordinary visitors on vacation. These were God's servants who had gone out and did what they did for the sake of the name. That is, the name of Jesus. And thanks, Becky, for just keeping our thoughts focused on the name of Jesus this morning. These were missionaries going from church to church, community to community, um, preaching the gospel. And because they were bringing the gospel to pagans, they didn't, um, they decided that they wouldn't accept anything from the very people that they were trying to reach. And so it was all the more important that the Christians would come alongside them and help them and partner with them. And that's why John continues now in verse 8, We ought, therefore, to show hospitality to such people so that we may work together for the truth. In other words, John isn't writing this so that we can say, you know, go Gaius, great Gaius. What a, what a guy that Gaius is. I mean, say that seven times quickly. Look at him go. No, he's writing this. Because he's writing about the partnership with Gaius, setting him up as an example to follow so that others will imitate him and partner with John and the traveling teachers as well. He says, we ought to show hospitality too. Because when we do, we are working together in ministry. And really, ministry is partnership, right? Uh, Ministry, a church ministry is never about a pastor. I could never do this on my own, and Pastor Ken couldn't do it on his own, and Ken and I together couldn't even do it on our own, right? We need others to come alongside and say, we are with you. I want to be part of this, this thing we call church. Just, I mean, even if you think back, and it's not just about the activity of Sunday morning, the, the church is who we are. And there, I believe, is so much ministry that takes place throughout the week in people's lives and homes and people caring and praying for one another that we don't even know or don't even hear the stories about that often. But if you just think about even Sunday morning, all of what takes place. Many people arriving before 8 o'clock and setting up chairs and tables and the brunch crew starts and they're cutting up fruit and, and baking croissants and getting whatever protein we're going to have that morning in addition to the eggs. And, 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 and then the children's ministry team shows up and they start transforming upstairs and setting up things. And Sunday school teachers that arrive a half hour early so they can meet and pray together and be here when the kids arrive. And a worship team that comes and sets this up and rehearses songs. And people back there, I mean, it's, it's absolutely amazing when you think, and if you were to list off on a Sunday morning, just how many people partnered in some way to make that happen. So thank you. Thank you for your partnership. Because each gift that you bring, each chair that you stack, each table that you set, each person that you welcome, the instruments that you play, each button that you slide or push or whatever you end up doing back there, each child that you teach, each each croissant that you bake, each table that you fold down and put away, each tablecloth that you wash and 
fold and put away each prayer that you say, each group you lead, every Sunday news that you hand out, every person you greet is an important part of the partnership of ministry. And missions is the same, right? We're not all called to go to Africa. We're not called necessarily to go to the front lines. But do you have any idea how important the supply line is? Missionaries could never go unless they are sent, financed, prayed for. And let's not forget our interest in and encouragement of the work that they do. Friends, this is a simple personal letter to a friend of John. And he wants us simply to imitate him. His faithfulness to the truth and to love as evidenced by the practical expression of hospitality and the partnership in ministry. And can I just say one more thing about this? If you don't have a place where you're regularly and faithfully serving... You just need to find your place and be part of all of what God is doing. Oh, it would be so good if we could just stop right here. Kind of on a high note. Gaius. You know, be a Gaius. That should be like our kind of our, our mantra when we see somebody, hey, you're just like that guy we heard about this morning. That Gaius guy. But verse 9 introduces us unfortunately, to a problem in the church. And this problem was in the form of a person. His name is, can you say it? Diotrephes. Simply put, Diotrephes was a troublemaker. The church boss. We might even call him the church bully. Or maybe just church jerk. That seems kind of fitting. And perhaps me just describing Diotrephes this way reminded you of a painful past church experience. And that short little description, a name, a person, an event maybe, immediately came to mind. And you know that the actions of this one person likely caused much pain, maybe in your life or in the lives of somebody that you knew and loved or in the life of the church that you were part of. I wish it wasn't like that. But for whatever reason, it often is. And maybe, just maybe, we can take some comfort in knowing that there have always been church jerks. Unfortunately, sometimes our encounters with one diotrephes overshadows the partnership of a hundred Gaiuses. And when people talk about the hypocrites at church, it's probably because they met Diotrephes and not Gaius. I wish I could introduce them to the Gaiuses of this world, people who faithfully work and serve and in love. And so what was he doing to cause such conflict? If you have your Bibles open, you can look at verse 9 and verse 10. It said that Diotrephes will not welcome us. So when I come, John says, he's planning a visit, He's going to call him out. He's going to call attention to what he's doing. 
And what he's doing is spreading malicious nonsense about us. And not satisfied with that, he says, he even refuses to welcome other believers. He also stops those who want to do so and puts them out of the church. Did you just in that one sentence pick up this laundry list of the no good stuff that Diotrephes was doing? Let's walk through it. He says, first of all, he will not welcome us. I mean, what has John been preaching in these churches to love and to care and to show hospitality to one another? And now Diotrephes won't even welcome John, the apostle, the disciple, grandpa. You should feel sorry for him. Say, well, sure, you're welcome in my home. I got a bed for you. But no. John actually makes reference even here to a letter that he wrote. He says, I wrote to the church. And he sent a group then later. But first he wrote, and it seems like Diotrephes just ignored this letter. And he maybe even just destroyed it. And by this one action was demonstrating that he rejected John's pastoral authority and his teaching, right? Because after he sent the letter and there was no response, he then sent a group of people who went. And now that group of people came back and told John about Gaius and about this guy in the church named Diotrephes. He wouldn't welcome us. He was so rude to us. In fact, he was spreading malicious nonsense. I like that. Malicious nonsense. He was gossiping about John. He was making stuff up. The Greek word for gossip, and I love this because it's a great word picture. It comes from a root word that was used to describe the action of water boiling up and throwing off bubbles. You've seen that when water is boiling violently and the bubbles are coming up. Bubbles that are what? Empty and completely useless. Right? And so gossip simply means to indulge in empty or useless talk. (coughs) He certainly wasn't building them up. Excuse me. (coughs) And thirdly, He even refuses to welcome other believers. Now he was specifically defying John's counsel and instruction to show hospitality. But it gets worse. As if rejecting John and gossiping about him and rejecting his teaching wasn't enough, he also stops those who want to do so. In other words, I mean, it wasn't, he wasn't content with just not showing hospitality himself, but he actually, in fact, wouldn't let anyone else in the church show it either. So he was just being a bully. Because if others went ahead and cared for John or his traveling team, look at what then he did to them. He puts them out of the church. <laughs> what a character, right? I mean... If anyone disobeyed what he was telling them that they couldn't do, he kicked them out of the church. That, my friends, is called intimidation. Do what you do or you're gone. I mean, really, isn't jerk the most fitting name for this guy? It's no wonder then that John writes in verse 11, Dear friend, Do not imitate what is evil, but what is good. 
Anyone who does what is good is from God. Anyone who does what is evil has not seen God. In other words, imitate what is good. Gaius, he's your guy. He was obedient to the truth. He entertained strangers in his home. He demonstrated his love in practical ways. Do that, John says, and you testify that you are from God doing the very work of God. But if you choose to imitate Diotrephes, whose actions could be described as evil, you are showing that you have not met God. Diotrephes operated from a place of manipulation and intimidation. And that's what bullies do. But if love was the motivation for Gaius' actions, we can say that pride was the motivation for Diotrephes' actions. Because there's this one little phrase in verse 9 that was all we really needed to know about him. He loves to be first. He loves to be first. I mean, what other words would we use to describe someone who loves to be first? Anything come to mind? Arrogant? Conceited? Jerk? I mean, I just even always come back to that because it just seems like this guy caused no end of problems. And you see the real contrast between these two characters is that one put others first and the other put himself first. You might think that John is being too hard on Diotrephes and that he has no right to judge him and really how can he know his heart? Friends, have you noticed that the actions speak for themselves? The fruit of his pride was demonstrated in his actions. Before coming to TCC, I served with a a ministry that helped churches in conflict. And if a church realized that they were in deep trouble and they were willing, they would invite a team of us that would come in and we would spend uh, four, five, six days, whatever it took, interviewing as many people in the church as possible, oftentimes over 200 people in most churches. And often... Halfway through the first day, we would know who the church jerk was. Sometimes jerks. And sadly, sometimes it was the pastor. Or another leader in the church that had been affirmed by the congregation. And sometimes when confronted, they would honestly, it was incredible, they would acknowledge their sin They'd repent. They'd stand before the church and ask for forgiveness. An unbelievable reconciliation and transformation could take place. But that was rare. More often it was everyone else that was the problem. I'm just going to go over here and lead this church. Maybe do the same thing over here. Pride the original and greatest of all sins, and the exact opposite of Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, 
but made himself nothing. Taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. And Paul said all of that about Jesus because he was illustrating to the Philippian church how they too should act. Not thinking only of themselves, but in humility, considering others better than yourselves. Putting others first. That was the pattern of Jesus. And we might even say, was the pattern of the third character of this letter. The pattern of Demetrius. Demetrius, John writes, is well spoken of by everyone and even by the truth itself. We also speak well of him, and you know that our testimony is true. Demetrius is a perfect example of what it means to imitate good. And it's nice that we can close this letter when we return to a positive example, Demetrius. He was the messenger who was delivering this letter. And in this context of this letter, Paul was in S or sorry, John was in essence sending a reference letter. This is one of ours. Show hospitality to him too. And this word that we found back in verse 11 for imitate, the Greek word is mamai. Yeah, now I can't even say it. Mamaiome. And if you look at it closely, and the reason I want it, it, it has the root word of mine, where you imitate the actions of someone else. And usually it's translated follow, and sometimes the noun form follower. But when you think of all of Scripture, Paul tells us that we should be imitators of God. Peter tells us that we should imitate that which is good. Paul goes on at places to say, imitate us, and then later, imitate me. The writer of Hebrews encourages us to imitate those whose lives are characterized by faith. People will imitate someone. We just need to be careful who we imitate. Imitating Demetrius here would be a good place to start. He's not in any way intimidated by diatrephes. He just delivers this letter to Gaius, and it's like John is saying to Gaius, hey, this Demetrius, everyone speaks well of him. Pay attention to him in his life. And then as John winds this letter up, he says, Oh, Gaius, there's more, and I really hope that I can connect with you in person soon. Peace to you. Peace to you. What a striking way to close a letter dealing with conflict, and problems, bitterness. Peace. I guess it does matter who we follow. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the just wonderful example of Gaius and Demetrius. These guys understood what it meant to imitate Jesus. Putting others first. Lord, we have so many opportunities to live that out, to walk that out in truth.
every day. Whether we're driving to work, whether we're going through a doorway, whether we're trying to squeeze ahead of someone in line, we just have an opportunity to put others first. So Lord, I pray that you would help us be more like Gaius and less like this other guy, Diotrephes. Maybe many of us have been introduced to him for the first time today. But maybe we've had bad experiences. Maybe we're even remembering our own past and realizing that maybe I was that guy. Lord, whatever it is, our hope and prayer this morning is that we would be a people who always look to Jesus, to his truth, to his love, and that is who we would follow. In Jesus' name we pray.